in the beautiful West 7th neighborhood of St. Paul, Minnesota, you're listening to the Capital City Podcast. Three weeks ago, we began a series in Joseph. So we did two weeks talking about Joseph. Are we going to do the phone too or no? Just the, just the, oh, gotcha. All right, cool. Um, just want to make sure that we're not, all right, uh, sounds good. Um, I, I love just being able to look to Nat and be like, what are, what are we doing? How's this working? And he just, he knows. Okay. Um, so we did two weeks in the series of Joseph. And so if you're just joining with us, I'll, I'll do a little bit of a recap. <clears throat> and then last week, we spent the time talking about the problem of evil. Essentially, why does a good God, a good God allow evil to exist? And so if you want to catch those sermons, they will be online on the podcast and on the website uh, later today or, or tomorrow. Uh, so two, or, or two weeks ago, we had our second week in the Joseph series. So in the first week, we learned that Joseph was this favorite son. He was in charge of all of his father's business. You know, his brothers hated him, and he hated this coat that he had that designated his status, right? We've sort of turned this in Broadway into this Technicolor dream coat, when really it probably wasn't this rainbow coat, but it was a, a, a signifying coat of some kind. Um, then the brothers sold him into slavery to his own second cousins. They rip up his coat dip it in goat's blood, take it back to Jacob, his father. And he thinks, well, you know, surely Joseph has been destroyed by wild animals or something. So Joseph is brought to Egypt alive and sold as a slave to the captain of the guard. So that's a little bit of the story so far. And you're thinking at this point, it doesn't get much worse. But when he's in this position as a servant, as a slave, uh, he at least is able to find some silver lining and that his, his skill as a manager, as someone over a household becomes apparent and Potiphar, his master in Egypt, puts him over the entire house. But then uh, it all falls apart again because he's falsely accused of rape. Potiphar actually, his master, knows that his wife is lying. And you can listen to our former uh, sermons to, to understand more of the, the background as to why we have good reason to believe that he did not believe the accusation. But in order to save face, he still had to punish or prosecute Joseph in some way. So he sends him to the dungeon. And so now Joseph has been languishing in a dungeon on the same grounds. He's both running the dungeon, but he's kind of, he's also a prisoner in it. So think of like the Nazi war camps, how they'd often use a, uh, a capo. So they'd, they'd have a, say a Jewish prisoner help run the camp, but they'd also be a prisoner themselves. So this is like, like what Joseph is uh, in this spot. I'm sure it's killing that right now that there's a siren in the background of this. Yeah, he's like... <laughs> This is your emotional pain. <laughs> All right. Um, so Joseph, what we're picking up this week is that he is at the very bottom. He thinks it cannot get any worse. And just as it does, he's sent to a dungeon. So that brings us to today's story. And I'll admit, of all the sermons I've done, this is probably the heaviest on story in the year and a half we've been a church. So I feel like I'm doing a little less preaching today than normal because Joseph's story is 13 chapters long. And we don't want to spend 13 weeks there or, you know, around week six or seven, people get real tired of some of the same stuff. So we wanna, we wanna move this along. So today we're gonna be doing a lot of story. Um, and so just bear with me. I used to have a, a history teacher who said, you know, we're gonna be getting to X, Y, and Z, but we need to get through this other stuff before we can get there. So that's kind of what today is, a lot of story. So let me read, this is from, if you wanna follow along, we're in the NLT translation, Genesis 40 and 41 is what we'll be doing today. So it says, sometime later, later than, you know, Joseph being put in this dungeon, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker offended their royal master. Pharaoh became angry with these two officials and he put them in prison 
where Joseph was, in the palace of the captain of the guard. They remained in prison for quite some time, and the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, who looked after them. Again, Joseph being a prisoner and also somehow kind of in charge, like an underwarden. So what is a cupbearer? A cupbearer's role, we might just think in the modern era, you think of a cupbearer as someone who just brings the Pharaoh's cup to him. Uh, but in that day, it was very common, and still today, if you go to Russia, it was very common to poison your political enemies. And so in order to not be killed all the time, uh, Pharaohs had certain people who had to test out their food and their, their, their drink to make sure it wasn't poisoned. So before a Pharaoh ate, like a good hour before, their cupbearer would take a few sips of anything they were going to drink to make sure that it wasn't going to kill them. And so a cupbearer was essentially, their role was to help keep the Pharaoh from intrigue and from assassination attempts, and they, their job was wrapped up kind of in intelligence like that. So in some way, we don't know, but in some way he had failed, and you could see this as a form of treachery, or just some major form of decorum was broken, some humiliation against the Pharaoh happened, we don't really understand. The fact was, uh, he was in the prison though, this cupbearer went to the same prison where Joseph was, which was for high level prisoners, people of intrigue, you know, who had plots against the Pharaoh or something. And while they were in prison, uh, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. Why do you look so worried today? He asked them. And they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Joseph says, interpreting dreams is God's business. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. So notice that Joseph is not claiming this power on his own, but he's saying it's, it's God who has the power to prophesy, to tell the future, to interpret dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream first. In my dream, he said, I saw a grapevine in front of me. The vine had three branches that began to bud and blossom, and soon it produced clusters of ripe grapes. I was holding Pharaoh's wine cup in my hand, so I took a cluster of grapes and squeezed the juice into the cup. Then I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. This is what the dream means, Joseph said. The three branches represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position as chief cupbearer. And please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place, for I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. So here Joseph is making his case. He says, you know, you're, you're gonna be restored to your post in three days. And when that happens, when I'm right, remember me languishing here for no reason in this dungeon and plead my case before the Pharaoh. And I love this next line. There's such humor in these stories that we often miss. It says, when the chief baker saw that the interpre interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. <laughs> and so he's sort of waiting back like, what's gonna be the prophecy that this guy gets? And then he hears this like, oh, you're gonna be restored to your post and not in this dungeon? Well, guess what? I also had a dream. So the baker you know, tries to jump in and then he explains his dream. But listen to this interpretation. So his dream is, he said, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head and in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked foods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, <laughs> sorry, I just know what's coming. So I find this funny, uh, darkly funny. He says, this is its interpretation. 
The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree and the birds will eat the flesh off of you. So, sorry, it's a dark joke, but I just find it funny that this guy's like, oh, good news is coming out of this Joseph character. Like, what's my, what's my prophecy, man? And then he's like, well, you're, you're, you'll be lifted up too, but your head from your body. Uh, okay. All right. So it says in verse 20, Pharaoh's birthday came three days later. Now, you might hear in trivia sometimes, I know we have some trivia uh, lovers here. Sometimes people will say that humans didn't celebrate their birthdays until the Great Depression. Has anyone heard this? Have you guys heard this story? People will say, no one really celebrated their birthday until the Great Depression because times were so good and they wanted to encourage people or whatever. 4,000 years ago, Pharaoh is celebrating his birthday. So if you hear that trivia, don't believe it. All right, so Pharaoh's birthday came three days later and he prepared a banquet for all his officials and staff. He summoned his chief cupbearer and chief baker to join the officials so that he's summoning them out of this prison. He then restored the chief cupbearer to his former position so he could again hand Pharaoh his cup. But Pharaoh hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had predicted when he interpreted his dream. So at this point, the hearer of the story must sit back. You know, the original hearers of these stories must have sat back and thought, finally, you know, relief for Joseph. He read the future. He prophesied these two guys, you know, futures perfectly. And he had asked the cupbearer to remember him when he got back to Pharaoh's court and to plead his case. But then the Bible goes on to say, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. It's just like, what an injustice. This guy has been in a dungeon and he, he perfectly predicts their futures. And then this guy's like, ah, I'm going to go back to my post and not mention this. They forgot him. So sometimes in your lives, when you endure something really unfair, you'll have no idea why. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes years later, God shows you. Many of you here have probably had to walk through a fog that's months long, years long, or even decades long, and you really have no clue what God was doing. But then maybe, if you're fortunate enough, if you live long enough, maybe two or five, ten years later, you say, ah, I get why God made me go through all of that stuff. And so Joseph has to go through even more here. Um, he, I, I thought to go into why. Why is he undergoing all this pain? But we, if, you, if you listen to the messages online, we spent the first two weeks of the series largely going into that question. So I want to move on so we can continue in this story. Um, how long does Joseph continue in that dungeon after being forgotten? Bible trivia. No. Uh, so the next chapter tells us, uh, it says two full years later, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. In his dream, he saw seven fat, healthy cows come up out of the river and begin grazing in the marsh grass. Then he saw seven more cows come up behind them from the Nile, but these were scrawny and thin. These cows stood beside the fat cows on the riverbank, and then the scrawny, thin cows ate the seven healthy, fat cows. At this point in the dream, Pharaoh woke up. So here Joseph is languishing two more years, and then Pharaoh has this massive dream. It's a weird dream, right? Skinny cows eating fat cows. I don't imagine a little cow's mouth, like what would that even look like in the dream, trying to eat another cow? Anyway, okay, all right. But he, Pharaoh, fell asleep again and had a second dream. This time he saw seven heads of grain, plump and beautiful, growing on a single stalk. But then seven more heads of grain appeared, but these were sh uh, shriveled and withered 
by the east wind. So imagine you're sitting in Cairo, Egypt. If you can pull up your mental map, you're in Cairo and the east wind comes. Well, what's directly east of you if you're in Cairo? Saudi Arabia, right? That's the Arabian desert. So an east wind is just a scorching hot, dry wind. So he's imagining these kernels of wheat being completely withered by this desert wind, 120 degree wind coming in. Uh, verse seven of chapter 41. And these thin heads swallowed up the seven plump, well-formed heads. And then Pharaoh woke up again and realized it was a dream. The next morning, Pharaoh was very disturbed by the dreams. So he called for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. This is the same word as the wise men, the magi who visit uh, Jesus as a baby boy. You know, when the, the three magi, the three kings, the three wise men, this is the same role. He's calling up these people in his kingdom to, to interpret the dream. Uh, so he called for all the magicians and wise men. When Pharaoh told them his dreams, not one of them could tell him what they meant. Finally, the, the king's chief cupbearer spoke up. Today, I have been reminded of my failure, he told Pharaoh. Some time ago, you were angry with the chief baker and me, and you imprisoned us in the palace of the captain of the guard. So then he, he goes on to tell the story about how this guy in the prison uh, completely, perfectly interpreted his dream and the baker's dream and that it came to pass exactly like he prophesied. So I'm just summarizing that so we can not read. Uh, the actual, the, the number of words in the two chapters we're going through is almost the, the complete length of my normal sermons. So I was like, I gotta, I gotta find ways to summarize portions of this. All right, verse 14, it says, uh, Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once and he was quickly brought from the prison. After he shaved and changed his clothes, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night and no one here can tell me what it means, but I have heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. It is beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. So then uh, the Bible repeats the dream. We won't repeat it here, but Pharaoh tells Joseph about the dream, the cows, the wheat, the skinny ones gobbling up the big ones. And then Joseph responded, both of Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God is telling Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. The seven healthy cows and the seven healthy heads of grain both represent seven years of prosperity. The seven thin scrawny cows that came up later and the seven thin heads of grain withered by the east wind represent seven years of famine. This will happen just as I have described it for God has revealed to Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. The next seven years will be a period of great prosperity throughout the land of Egypt. But afterward, there will be seven years of famine so great that all the prosperity will be forgotten in Egypt. Famine will destroy the land. This famine will be so severe that even the memory of the good years will be erased. As for having two similar dreams, it means that these events have been decreed by God and he will soon make them happen. Therefore, so he doesn't just interpret the dream, he goes a, a step further. He says, therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man, who could that be, uh, and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one fifth of all the crops during the seven good years. Have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring it into Pharaoh's storehouses. Store it away and guard it so there will be food in the cities. That way there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise this famine will destroy the land. So not only does Joseph interpret the dreams on the spot, he does so clearly, he does so decisively, but instead of then leaving Pharaoh to sit there like, 
well, what do I do about the seven-year famine that's coming in seven years? He gives him the application, right? It's like a pastor at the end of the sermon. They normally tell you, like, what do you do with what you just learned? He says, take a fifth of everything from these next seven years of these amazing crops. So some people do the math on this. They're like, wait, so if you take a fifth of the good crops for seven years, how can that keep keep people alive for seven bad years? But remember in a famine, it's not that no food grows at all. It's just that you don't have a very good harvest. It's not good enough that you're, you're going to have people starving to death, but there's still some food that does grow. So anyway, keeping a fifth of the grain away for seven years is enough, he's saying, to keep people alive for the next seven years of it not going well. All right, so it says in verse 37, Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders from you. Only I sitting on my throne will have a rank higher than yours. So here, here Joseph is about to be brought to essentially like our VP level, our, our senior level of Egyptian government. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in fine linen clothing and hung a gold chain around his neck. Then he had Joseph ride in a chariot reserved for his second in command. And wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, kneel down. So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all Egypt. And Pharaoh said to him, I am Pharaoh, but no one will lift a hand or foot in the entire land of Egypt without your approval. So this is this amazing moment when Joseph has been made to suffer for 13 years. And now he's brought up to be the second in command in arguably the most powerful country on earth at the time. And he's given this signet ring. It's, it's where we get the word signature from. And so it's a ring with a special stamp. He put a little like hot wax on a parchment and then he'd stamp his ring in it uh, to seal it. And it, was, it had the, all the authority of the Pharaoh. So the Pharaoh might just give out like six or 10 of these rings, but then the Pharaoh would have one ring to rule them all. Anyone? <laughs> Sorry, I had to. I, I made it a year and a half without making a reference like that. Okay, all right. Uh, <laughs> all right. That's a Lord of the Rings reference for the uninitiated. Um, All right, so um, he suffered for so long and he must still be asking why. I mean, now at least he's made it, right? He, He finally has a position worthy of his talent, but he must still be asking, you know, what for? He still doesn't have his family. He still had to spend ages 17 to 30, either in slavery or in a dungeon. But then the Bible, Bible gives us a hint, and we're not going to go fully into this part. We will be ending shortly after this section. But the Bible gives us a hint of what's to come. It says, <clears throat> as predicted, for seven years, the land produced bumper crops. I had to look this up. I'm like, I've heard this phrase bumper crops, but is that what we call like a really successful harvest in English? We call bumper crops. When you read the NLT, you get these actual English phrases that you, you're not used to reading. Anyway, so... Uh, Seven years, the land produced bumper crops, incredible crops. During those years, Joseph gathered all the crops grown in Egypt and stored the grain from the surrounding fields and the cities. He piled up huge amounts of grain like the sand on the seashore. Finally, he stopped keeping records because there was too much to measure. All right, this is a kid who's been keeping records since he was just a little child and he outshined his brothers and how good of a manager he was. He stopped keeping count. He stopped keeping record. He's like, whatever. We got so many, we got so much grain. 
I'm not even gonna bother, just build silos and store it. So at last, the seven years of bumper crops throughout the land of Egypt came to an end. Then the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had predicted. The famine also struck all the surrounding countries, but throughout Egypt, there was plenty of food. Eventually, however, the famine spread throughout the land of Egypt as well. And when the people cried out to Pharaoh for food, he told them, go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you. So with severe famine everywhere, Joseph opened up the storehouses and distributed grain to the Egyptians for the famine was severe throughout the land of Egypt. And people from all around came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe throughout the world. And when it says world, it means basically the Mediterranean area. So finally, it begins to make sense. And maybe if you're familiar with the story or maybe you caught it in there, did you catch that bit about how vast the famine would be? It says that the lands around Egypt were struck harder and that they were struck first. And so you're thinking, you know, why has he suffered like this? Yeah, now he has a great position, but why did all of this happen? And now it's starting, they're giving you a hint as to why this happened. The lands outside of Egypt were struck first and struck harder. So guess who lives in the lands outside of Egypt? About 250 miles to the north are those same brothers who sold him into slavery and his father, Jacob. So 250 miles north, Joseph's brothers are beginning to starve to death. And if Joseph had lived a calm and peaceful life, just managing his father's property up north, he would be starving to death too. And there would be no inn. They would have no inn in Egypt where there was grain stored. So the fog is beginning to lift here. And the Bible doesn't clear this up for us yet. We have to wait for a few more chapters to get this. But the fog is beginning to lift, at least for Joseph. His family in Canaan is starving, but he knows that he has grain there and the people from the surrounding country are coming in to get food. So his family is wealthy. They have plenty of silver and gold, but what does silver and gold do for you when, you, when your own land won't grow enough food to keep you alive? But then in the next chapter, and we'll get into this next week, but just a hint is that they, they hear that there's grain in Egypt because somehow the Egyptians had been storing a fifth of all of their harvest for seven years. Who in the world gave them that idea, right? In their starvation, Jacob, who had been renamed Israel, tells his sons to go to Egypt and buy grain. And now again, these same brothers who sold Joseph into slavery have to depend on Joseph to live. And they're on a collision course with this same brother who's now one of the most powerful people in the entire world. I would love to be, I, um, some of you will know this story. Some of you kind of have a vague memory of it from like a children's Bible and some might not have heard it before. And I would love, I would love to hear this story for the first time and have no idea what's gonna happen. Like, you know, the guy, it's like, a, like Liam Neeson and Taken, right? Like, you, like something is done that someone has wronged you and now you're gonna go like conquer the world. Like what's gonna, what's gonna happen to these brothers once they go visit Joseph? But well, you can go read Genesis 42 and following when you get home or you can wait for the, the weeks to come. It's a really redemptive and encouraging story. All right, so what, you know, the reader is left wondering, like what in the world is going to happen to these brothers who visit Joseph in Egypt? And that's where we'll end the biblical story for today, at least as far as the narrative goes. Again, you can keep reading. If you need to know how it finishes, and I encourage this, read Genesis 42 through the end and you'll, you'll hear. Uh, but we'll get into this in the next week. So you see over the course of this story that God's plans are mysterious and he plans them out not only decades, but you know, millennia in advance. 
And sometimes in your life, it's the same. You'll get dragged through the mud, it seems, for a year or in Joseph's case, 13 years. You hit rock bottom and then you see this ray of hope and right as you reach for it, it gets snatched away from you. We can't see the purposes of God. Again, if, if Joseph were living happily and peacefully in his homeland, he would be starving to death and there would be no recourse for him and his family. Egypt, not only would they not have an inn there, but Joseph wouldn't have been there to tell them to store all the grain. So Egypt would be suffering almost just as bad as everywhere else and they wouldn't have all these storehouses of grain. They would have eaten it up or they would have sold it away or whatever. Um, so through, this, through his fog and his pain, after 13 years, God is keeping him and his family alive through that trial. And the people of Israel who would come you know, after them, and of course Jesus comes from this line, none of this could have happened. The savior of the world would have had to come in a different way if all of the people of Israel would have died in starvation. So you can't always know why God has you going through suffering. You know, I think of during COVID, not only have so many people lost their jobs, so many people have lost loved ones, but also so many people have lost friends, they've lost mental health as they've not been spending time with others. I don't know, I, I saw a study recently that um, more people are leaving churches right now than ever because between having to meet on Zoom or meet in parks, like all of our normal rhythms have been thrown off. It's been a really hard uh, time in terms of mental health for this country. They say the worst year since 1968 in terms of unrest. Um, and we just wonder like, why, why does God allow these things to happen? You can't always know why God brings you through suffering, but sometimes we do live long enough to see the answer and sometimes not. But God does know, and he does have a plan for you. He has a plan for your family and the whole world. So if you're going through the depths of it right now, I hope that you can relate to this story of Joseph. He could have given up so many times in these 13 years. He had a measure of freedom. He could have despaired. He could have taken his own life, but instead he hoped in God and he believed in God and he lived to see the reason that God brought him, brought him through this was to save his entire people from starvation. So keep hope, believe in God and don't walk away from his church. Don't walk away from his kingdom. Don't walk away from his call. Keep struggling, keep pressing on and looking to God and trusting him because the dark night does end. The, the dawn does come. These are, these are really cheesy words. I don't mean to come out this way, but uh, <laughs> the dark night does end. The dawn does rise, guys. Now, um, <laughs> those aren't in my notes. Uh, <laughs> but if you keep trusting in God, you will see, often we live long enough to see why he brought us through that pain and that struggle. And you understand how it worked together for the good of his kingdom for the good of you and your family. Um, and sometimes you don't. Sometimes we have to wait until we go and meet with him face to face to know. But take heart in the story of Joseph and we'll continue on uh, as the weeks go on. I'll, I'll pray here to close us. Um, Lord, thank you so much for this park that we've been able to meet in without any weather problems for two and a half months. Uh, it's been fun. It's been a great time to be together as a church. And we thank you that we can be together again uh, next week indoors. Um, we thank you for this, this series, this example of Joseph. And I pray for encouragement for those who have been through the worst of it, whether medically, uh, with their family, losing friends over just the mess that is 2020. Um, I pray for those who are suffering from job loss or from COVID, from death and family, that you'd give them hope to keep pressing on, to find encouragement in the story of Joseph and other stories in the Bible, where people kept their eyes on you and they kept trusting and following you knowing that you had a plan, even though we can't always see it, 
uh, especially when, they're in, when we're in the midst of that fog. So I pray for encouragement that you would let the fog lift in our own lives if we're enduring it and that you'd show us the purpose and the reason for why we have suffered. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a project of the Capital City Church in the West 7th community of St. Paul, Minnesota. Find us on Instagram at Capital City Church, STP, or visit our website for more information at capitalcitystpaul.com. Paul.com.